You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. And of course, this is the election day. Uh, other people may have uh, voted early, but uh, for those who like a, an election party, <laughs> Saturday is it, but uh, that's probably the end of my discussion of the uh, election. Um, we might uh, give you an announcement in a little while about uh, the official voting guide from the AEC because that's the sort of thing a good uh, public interest radio station does because that's what wonderful 3CR does. And we might also remind you that uh, Radiothon is launching in June, so that you can show your appreciation of all the work that people are putting in to bring you this uh, station uh, by throwing a little bit of uh, uh, money our way so that we can continue for another year. But before we do, I'll give you a, a rundown of what we're going to be covering this morning on 3CR Solidarity Breakfast. Um, a couple of things. Uh, I went down to the NACBA um, Memorial on Sunday and uh, 3CR has been uh, covering uh, the various speeches and uh, responses uh, over the week. Um, so I thought I'd uh, uh, take you there but through some vox pop asking people how uh, and why they came to the Nakba uh, memorial which of course is the uh, memorial of the um, forced removals and the deaths that uh, accompanied those removals in 1948 when the Zionists um, took Palestinian land uh, for the state of Israel, uh, people lived there, <laughs> not ter- Terranilius. Um, the indigenous people of Palestine were uh, expelled from their place, and they're holding on with uh, their fingernails to this day. Um, anyway, I spoke to some people down there to find out why they came and why they thought it was important. I also marked uh, in the first half hour the um, uh, move uh, by the uh, English uh, courts to make a decision about the fate of Julian Assange on the uh, 17th outside the uh, courts, the um, uh, Stella Assange um, was speaking and uh, I... uh, it was, a lot, uh, it was outside the UK Home Office. Um, there was a crowd outside there. Um, the announcement about uh, uh, the um, 
what will happen uh, is uh, uh, scheduled for the 31st of May. And uh, but uh, Jill, uh, Stella Assange gives a uh, clear understanding of uh, what uh, Julian Assange supporters expect and what they will do if the worst comes to the worst. Uh, there were um, events around the world in support of Julian Assange because, of course, there's the man and then there's the principle that goes with it. And, of course, there is a uh, large principle and it's called uh, freedom of speech, not this nebulous freedom that the uh, anti-vaxxers, etc., are talking about, but the actual hard-won political freedom of the masses to actually have a voice in the political uh, uh, maelstrom. Uh, there's an awful lot of stuff happening uh, with uh, especially U.S. oligarchs involving themselves like Koch in undermining the democratic process in our public education systems. Uh, what uh, And interestingly enough, in America, there's been a resurgence of book burning and the most... Uh, uh, most burnt book in America apparently is Harry Potter and uh, closely followed by Twilight. It's all about witchcraft and uh, uh, that sort of stuff. Can't have it, can't have it. In fact, in on February, a uh, conservative, or they like to call it conservative, but right-wing pastor had a, a book-burning uh, affair, but he didn't have it all his own way because there was someone there who uh, <laughs> threw the Bible in and, uh, called call it the book of Satan. So there you go. Uh, there is a big fight back, and that particular fight back is um, being uh, in America. It has uh, teachers and librarians in the front line. Interestingly enough, uh, the uh, a lot a couple of the uh, key organisations that are inspiring the attacks on um, uh, or starting who are who are um, initiating the uh, uh, call for the removal of particular books uh, from the shelves of public libraries and local schools are actually seeded by Kosh money. So it is a quite... Uh, um, it's these, you know, uh, seeding these uh, pretend front organisations that, you know, like concerned parents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in actual fact, they are right-wing uh, cat's paws. Uh, and uh, part part of the one of the books that they've targeted again is uh, Mal's uh, a book that uh, depicts uh, what happened in the Holocaust. In, it just continues and continues. Um, and uh, of course, it uh, tells you uh, it you know brings back the notion that uh, once they start burning books, they'll start burning people. Anyway, the, these are troubled times, and uh, people want to. Uh, um, so it's part of the this first first, uh, first half hour was going to be devoted to the concept of uh, human rights. Really, it's all about human rights and. Uh, so uh, that's what I thought I'd do. We're following that with uh, a triumphant story, which is actually um, the uh, 20th anniversary of East Timor. Uh, May genera is uh, marks the 20th year anniversary of T- Timor-Leste's independence from Indone- Indonesian occupation. 
And on um, Sunday, tomorrow, uh, Dilly All-Stars and uh, guests are going to celebrate this Independence Day uh, at 3pm at Memo Music Hall St Kilda, that lovely little uh, hall in Ackland Street, beautiful place. Um, you can get a ticket. It's going to cost you $50, $40.35, all the different uh, things. Um, you can get them at the uh, venue. Uh, the the doors open at 2.30. The, uh, there's going to be lots and lots of things. But we're going to get to talk, talk to Paulie Stewart about this event and also reminding people about the past and the mighty fight that uh, is, uh Arrived at a successful end for the people of uh, Timor-Leste in their fight for freedom. Uh, Kevin's going to follow up with a peruse through the week. And uh, the last part of the uh, program is going to be devoted to uh, the um, climate change uh, and how corporations uh, and uh, governments are... um, holding the climate goals to ransom. Uh, I uh, listened to a variety of different things coming out of Europe over the week and it was quite fascinating to get a perspective on uh, the fight against uh, these um, systems that are uh, have been put in place since 1994 to ensure that investors can gouge money out of countries that uh, put in um, legislation to protect their environments, they, and also with sunset clauses, the clauses that uh, mean that. Uh, they uh, have to pay after 26 years of leaving the uh, treaties that uh, have these uh, clauses in them. And uh, these, you think about it, you could start a business, get it, get funding for, a, you know, get a country to, uh, uh, you know, start a project that you know won't be completed uh, and then the money that the profits you're going to get out of them is going to be through litigation and the suing of a poor country. Anyway, we're going to follow that up. Also, a little peek at uh, COP27 because uh, it's funny, on this side of the world, you kind of forget that uh, uh, COP26 was one thing, but there's going to be another one, COP27, and it's another part of this uh, process of greenwashing uh, for corporations and governments to, mainly corporations, I'll have to say, oligarchs, really, holding the world to ransom. Uh, leaners, corporate leaners, I say. Anyway, here's some um, some of those important messages I was uh, going to force on to you. FreeCR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep communities strong. 
online and in cinema. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival will be running online from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July. Canvassing the world's best docos from South by Southwest, Tribeca and Hot Docs, as well as the best Australian content. Check out the lineup and book today at mdff.org.au or cinemanova.com.au. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with Annie on 3CR Breakfast. And uh, we're going to go down, as I promised, to the uh, outside uh, State Library from last Sunday. Uh, it was the NACBA uh, Memorial. And I asked a few people why they thought it was important. G'day, I'm from 3CR. Can, can you tell me why it's important to be here today? It's important to draw the world's attention to the dispossession of the Palestinian people in 1948 and their continued the continued uh, oppression of the Palestinian people by the Israeli regime. Continually, uh, their human rights continue to be completely violated. They're dispossessed and harassed and just uh, the world takes no notice. So I'm here to try and draw the world's attention to the plight of the Palestinian people. Um, they need everyone to hold Israel accountable for the uh, betrayal of their human rights. Thank you. I'm from 3CR. Can you tell me why it's important to be here today? Oh, I'm from 3CR. How do I know, Isabel? What's your question? Why is it important to be here today? Uh, honestly, I don't, I don't really... I'm a person who doesn't believe really like in protesting. I don't think it's paid. But anyway, today with all the social media, and so you can hide things that... Like, politi- like countries they used to hide. Now everyone knows what's happening in Palestine. And I'm here just to support those people because uh, especially now what's happening in the world like with Ukraine, I'm not saying like it's good to support them or it's bad to support them, but like show, uh, the, the West was showing check to the one, world is like two, supporting one, two, Ukraine. Two, like Ukrainian, one, they are two. like more important than Palestinian. And I don't believe in this. Like I believe like we are all humans and uh, and what's happening. Anyway, I'm just supporting Palestinians by being here because what's happening in their country is injustice. That's it. It's like yeah. So it's a human response that you're saying. Yeah. Like you're going to stand exactly. here with because them. What's happened like the last few days, like with this uh, the, the journalist, like, and you can see like what's happened also like with the, her um, uh, her funeral. Yeah, exactly. So uh, no respect. Uh, if they did this and they know there is like everyone is filming today everyone has a phone yeah it means like we don't care what you think we do whatever we want because the, the international law applies just for some people like it's the same like we you know like I'm going like maybe uh, uh, it's not the subject today but like Ukraine, like Russia today is is going to Ukraine which is illegal I'm not saying good or bad I'm saying it's illegal but the Americans and their allies or their whatever they, they they did worse every time, and they are the ones who used the atomic bomb, <laughs> and they are the ones that said like you should not have atomic bomb. That's why I'm here. You can understand which. <laughs> that's it. From 3CR, and I was wondering if you could tell me why it's important to be here today. Uh, I'm Palestinian. I'm from Safed. My family have been expelled from there since 1948. Uh, Safed was one of the first. Uh, uh, villages that have uh, been uh, uh, raided by the uh, Zionists and yeah, 
uh, we've been uh, refugees since then. There is no Arab now uh, in the city of Safed and the north of uh, Palestine. There is like zero percent <laughs> Arab there. So yeah, it's important for me to see the solidarity with with my people, with Palestine. With my people. Uh, it's a very strong message about identity, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and here in Australia, with all this support from um, from everyone, uh, actually, even we have solidarity from the Jewish uh, community and from everyone. So yeah. The nice. death of uh, Shireen was very shocking. Yeah, yeah. So, I've been uh, watching Shireen uh, podcast since I was a kid. I'm 30 years old now. I remember Shireen since I was 10. So uh, she was like the da the daily voice for, for us uh, to hear about the situation back in Palestine, and yeah. So her death was shocking. I even took uh, a day off of uh, work to <laughs> to handle the, the news. I'm from 3CR. From who? 3CR. 3CR, the radio station. Yeah, and I just want to know why it's important to be here. Why am I, Why is it important? Yeah. Well, because. <laughs> Um, the Palestinian cause is over 70 years old now. People who have become refugees, um, left their homes, they were evicted out of their homes in 1948 and have lost their land and are still struggling to, 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 to return to their land. Um, and, and, and if you listen to the news and you listen to what Israel, an apartheid state, is doing to Palestinians right now, the killing of journalists, the killing of children, the sniper attacks, I mean, so much. The, the, the apartheid system that the Palestinians live under, evictions from their own homes. I'm here to support the Palestinian people. I'm here to su support the end of apartheid, the, the, the removal of Israel from that land that was given to them by the British mandate. It was by rights, not theirs, okay? Jews lived in Palestine before, and they have every right to live there, but not as Israelis, okay? so we. The, the Palestinians lived, were Jewish, Christian, and Jews, and lived in harmony together until Britain, who was in charge of Palestine, decided, well, let's give it to the Jews, which meant that Palestinians, Christians, and Muslims were left out, and, his li and whose lives had been a tragedy. There was ethnic cleansing, the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, um, and it's ongoing, um, quietly, secretly, it's, but it's still ongoing. In 1948, they ethnically cleansed the country to get rid of Palestine. Do you think the killing of Shireen was part of that quiet it was crunch yes, uh, it, it was saying listen you know we can do anything we want so beware really even to journalists they've killed over at least 50 journalists over the 70 years that they've been in power and they bombed the Elgin associated press building as well yes. so yes i mean they have been criminals i mean these, these are crimes yeah, well, i was going to say what does yes. it say about the rule of law like everybody's talking about the rule of law america goes around the place you know, saber rattling about the rule of law. And Europe and the US turn a blind eye to all this. But when it comes to their interests, they talk about the rule of law and about and about the cessation of hostilities and, and, and things. But when it comes to Palestine, not a peep. You know, yes, you, the US expressed a small sort of, um, you know, remark, they made a small remark about Shireen because she's also American. But that was it, a very gentle remark, something, you know, something, you know, non-persuasive, you know, it was not, you know, a hardcore statement, an angry statement. But that's all they'll do. They won't protect their own people. Do, do, you, th do you think that um, they think these power elites and Zionists believe that, oh, well, why don't they just shut up? It's old, it's old news now. 
You know, it's a bit like the way they used to talk about the Irish. Oh, they've just got a long memory. Why well, do they remember? Well, that's Israel's strategy. It's to do that. It's to, yeah. it's to laugh it off and say, look, you know, these are the Palestinians. These, this is a conflict. No, it's not a conflict, actually. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an invasion. It's a, it's a, it's a travesty. Um, and it's war on us, on, on the Palestinians. So, yes, and it's, it's things like that, you know, oh, forgot it, you know, just turn a blind eye to that. They're just, they're just troublemakers, you know, and that's definitely not the case. We're, they're defending, the Palestinians are defending their land against invasion, against the takeover, against eviction, you know. I mean, I've been quite interested in the fact that the Palestinians of all classes were removed from their land, like wealthy people. The people of all classes, uh, Palestinians of all classes were removed, poor as well as rich. Yes, poor, rich, um, uh, Christian, yes, middle class, uh, uh, working class, uh, Christians and Muslims. And they've started, the thing is, the more that Israel does to us, the stronger, the, the, stronger, the stronger Palestinians become as well. I mean, the solidarity that was shown in the case of Shireen Abu Akla, the... Um, <laughs> You know, Muslims and Christians went to the church. Um, that the pro funeral procession was attended by Muslims and Christians, and by the way, they were bashed. Okay, I know that was so shocking. Yes. I was, I was genuinely shocked. shocked How disrespectful! Exactly. They're not peep from anyone, any European country or America. The, the Israeli soldiers used batons to hit people. You know, it's and, if, and the, the coffin. The coffin nearly was, was nearly dropped on the floor. I mean, how? Who, where in the world can this happen? Where in the world can this happen? And be and be and be you know put to the side as, as something in, in, inconsequential. Nowhere. You know. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you very much.
Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada, and you're listening to 3CR, pro-Palestinian, happily proud radio. And you're with Annie on 3CR Breakfast on Saturday morning. And uh, we're going to continue with this theme of uh, human rights. Uh, Stella Assange outside the uh, UK Home Office on May the 17th uh, in wait for the... uh, ruling in regards to Julian Assange, her husband's extradition or not, to the US for telling the world what the so-called white hats have been doing, uh, bombing the shit out of ordinary people, effectively. (laughs) Uh, Hi, everyone, and thank you for being here on this important day to give uh, the message loud and clear to Priti Patel and the Home Office and the entire British government that they should do the right thing. They should block this extradition. It is a political case and it has a political solution. And that is to end this now. Julian has done nothing wrong. He's been put in a British prison. The UK is imprisoning a journalist And for all the spin uh, that is attempted, this is a the press freedom case of the century and it's playing out in the middle of London. Priti Patel has the power to stop this, she should stop this. But actually the British government could stop this at any moment, even if she signs the papers because the extradition itself is in clear breach of Article 4 of the US-UK extradition treaty. They are acting in violation of this treaty by even entertaining it through the courts. So this has a political solution at any point. The political will of the British government will make all the difference here. Now, the British government is rightly calling for uh, people with evidence of war crimes in Ukraine to step forward. They're rightly calling for investigations into war crimes. They're rightly calling for accountability for war crimes. Well, Julian revealed war crimes. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about one war crime that doesn't get much attention, and I'm not talking about collateral murder, which you all know about. I'm talking about the Ishaki massacre in Iraq, a village in which 11 people in a house were executed. Bullets to the head, 
They were handcuffed. Four of them were women, and five of them were children aged five and under. They were killed in a raid by the US military. And we know this because the UN wrote to the US government asking for an investigation, asking for information. And the US government just ignored them. That is an unpunished war crime committed by US military personnel in Iraq. And in fact, that event led to the Iraqi government ending the immunity deal that it had with the United States. It's important to remember that these aren't just publications in the abstract. These are tens of thousands of human casualties. Just imagine, visualize it. Piles upon piles of human corpses. That's what we're talking about. No accountability. And the only person who is suffering the consequences of these revelations is the person who did the right thing to put it into the public domain because the victims of war don't get any justice. The only justice they can hope for is for the truth of their victimhood being known. And by putting Julian in prison, they're trying to bury the record of their wrongdoing. And they're trying to silence everyone. They can't. That's right. Courage is contagious. We're going to fight this, whatever happens in this building. This is a just cause. What happens in that building. will speak for itself. But we're reaching now the end game. There are still appeals ahead if Priti Patel signs this. And I ask you all to rally, fight harder, find new ways to fight. We constantly have to reinvent this fight for justice, this fight for freedom. I brought my kids today, partly because uh, I couldn't get childcare in time, but also because I want them to see the incredible support that their father has. We love Julian Assange, and love Estella, and love the to fight harder, yes. shout louder, until he is free. Yes. We've won this before, we will win this again. Yes. Free Julian Assange. Yes. Free Julian Assange.
You're with Annie on uh, Solidarity Breakfast, 3CR's breakfast on Saturday, and uh, we're uh, hopefully going to get uh, a chat with uh, Polly Stewart about the uh, Dilly All-Stars and guests celebrating East Timor Independence 20th anniversary. It's They're doing a great gig at the Memo Music Hall in St Kilda. That's in Ackland Street, 3pm tomorrow, Saturday. Um, there's David Bridie's going to be there, the Timorese Cultural Group, uh, Stella Henning and the Externals, Timor Leste Students Choir, and Cisco and Son. Uh, but hopefully, we'll actually get to talk to Paulie Stewart, who was uh, one of the people who actually uh, began the Dilly All Stars. Uh, he uh, collaborated with. Uh, one of the uh, Cisco, who uh, is the um, other member of the team. Oh, Gil Santos, actually. Sorry, Gil Santos, and they united to record uh, songs of protest uh, at the uh, capture of the East Timorese resistance leader Shanana Guzmao uh, by the Indonesian armed forces in the early 90s. The band expanded and hit the road touring extensively both in Australia, East Timor, Europe and South America. It tells you about the uh, strength of arts in protests. Uh, but uh, since the man's probably still asleep, we uh, might uh, go to a track and hopefully we'll get a better result in the next few dials. Soles of my feet 
Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep community strong. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03-9419-8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, keep Keep community community strong. Enjoy the splendour of Rip and Lee Estates Gardens at the Botanica Festival. Featuring an open-air market and huge plant sale, will be a day of entertainment with plenty to do. Join a garden tour or explore stalls selling gardening books, plants and locally made items. There will be food vans and performances throughout the day. This event is generously made possible by the City of Glenira. Botanica will be held on the 29th of May between 10am and 3pm at the Rip and Lee Estate, Elstonwick. Further information can be found on the Ripon Lee website, ripponlee.com.au. The National Trust of Australia is a 3CR supporter. Community Radio. I am. A wax solidarity, Becky team listener, when a caring, distraught mother attempted vainly to protect her child from a blatant act of child cruelty as a middle-aged man playing soccer with small children laid a rugby tackle, crushing an innocent child into the ground. Look, Mummy, look! Don't look, dear. Turn your head away. Mummy, who is that big bully? Uh, That's the Prime Minister, dear. 
Yes, big supremo scuttled them more last Sunday, a.k.a. Scummo's election campaign had come to this, kicking a soccer ball round with little kids and laying one low with a rugby tackle. Uh, did you get your games mixed up, Scummo? It was nothing to do with me. I was just protecting myself like I protect the whole country, including that child. And after all, the child shouldn't have been there. Just think, if the Socialist Party had tackled him, he would have been seriously hurt. Just think. One of Scummo's great ministerial minds, Stuart Rob Workersertz, did tell an ABC reporter the kid was to blame. It was both their faults, he actually said. Uh, apparently the kid grabbed Scummo and pulled him down. It's, under, it's understandable that Scummo may have genuinely confused his football codes because he saw all the kids as a prop. Then again, we're becoming used to brilliant comments from Scummo and his team. Remember last week we came up with several Mensa material quotes from Hayseed and Sheepshit Party Supremo Barnacle. Like asked why Scummo is not exactly madly popular. You don't have to like your dentist. You just have to believe they are competent because when they have got that drill in your mouth, you want to make sure they hit the right tooth. As we said, we've got no idea of the relationship between the question and the answer. But his colleague, the Minister for Being Offensive and Train-Killing Constable Peter Duffer, made a strong bid this week to outdo Barnacle in the logic and clarity stakes. After the media revealed the Socialist Party had not been briefed until the last minute on the nuclear subs deal. And as the Socialist Party criticised Pete and the team over not being briefed, Pete said they weren't briefed because they are a security risk. And the fact that they have complained about not being briefed proves they are a security risk. Damn, once again we can't compete with that. Thank goodness the caring business class, hayseed and sheepshit lot are no security risk. Unless some gutless pacifists think itching to go to war is a security risk. So presumably this leak yesterday from the government security committee was not a security risk. Of course it's a light security risk, Pete counted. And this leak shows once and for all how the Socialist Party is like a security risk. Hang on, a leak from your party shows the Socialist Party is a security risk? It's the only logical, you know, like, explanation. Uh, spell explanation, Pete. Uh, X... Socialist Party Supremo and would-be big Supremo, Anthony Albinguzi, promised the caring business class he would create a win-win environment for caring business and lazy, avaricious workers. World's greatest, worst ex-treasurer, Paul, like he said, and haven't workers benefited from that win-win? What you can have... Anthony explained, is through genuine negotiation, improvements that increase both business profitability and wages, that's the Keating model. And goodness me, the Keating model certainly achieved the first bit of that. Obviously, the increase in profits wasn't quite enough to achieve the second bit. Workers just weren't productive enough. Nonetheless, a deal with the caring business class is clearly, although not exactly obviously, a hard-left position. As the Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin devoted two whole pages to analysing the Socialist Party policies, and every single one of them would destroy everything Trubler was he stands for.
or correctly for which it stands, but never mind, because Lord Rupert declared Anthony is a far-left danger on the same level of danger as State Supremo, the pejorative Dan, both out-of-control hard-left, indicating Lord Rupert has noticed something that's escaped us completely. Uh, but it reveals the impartiality and generosity of the filthiest rich of the filthy rich that they were prepared to attend a breakfast with Anthony where this hardline socialist was seen laughing and socialising with some of the biggest corporate barons in the country who, poor dears, didn't realise the danger they were playing with. With Anthony asked what he would consider his legacy, declaring, climate action! indicating a man of very limited ambition. The Socialist Party economic guru and would-be big economic guru Jim Chalmers Capital said he intended to enter an accord with big business at face value, hardly the hard-left, out-of-control socialist Lord Rupert has fingered. But think about it. It's brilliant. Because the previous accord by the nuclear hawk Paul government with the evil unions worked a treat in shrieking union membership and influence, allowing the sensible laws that prevent and make a crime, in fact, of evil unions doing what unions are there to do. So Jim is on the ball. He figures an accord with the class enemy while he praises the private sector, very clever, with the class enemy will similarly destroy capitalism as we know it allowing laws to prevent capitalism doing what capitalism is there to do. Genius! Lord Rupert was spot on. Hard left ideologues. We assume an accord with caring business would prevent them making applications to increase their profits, putting a lid on profit increases in return for benefits from corporate welfare. But then uh, that wouldn't be much different to now, other than there's no limit on both profits and corporate welfare. But given the evil unions accord presumed the public purse would pick up wage increases on behalf of the caring employers, then a caring business accord presumably would see the workers' pockets pick up profits on behalf of caring employers. But but again, that's what happens now anyway. So, so we'll have to wait and see what Jim has in mind other than the destruction of capital. On Anthony's climate action boast, the Socialist Party policy is based on a system introduced by former big supremo, tiny a bit more for the bosses. So that's encouraging. Yet cruelly, Pacific Islanders this week claimed the policy was posturing supporting ongoing thermal coal exports does not demonstrate a genuine and enduring commitment. They displayed their selfish concern only for themselves, as long as their homes remain above the briny. And to show how out of balance are the socialist policies, the Trublawasi Petroleum and Exploration Profits Association's conference this week said the oil and gas industry's $500 billion a year economic benefit to all of us could be at risk if an incoming government is taken over by misguided politics. Given a Murdoch University study has shown both the coalition and socialist climate change, if there is such a thing, policies would lead to a three-degree increase, let alone the 1.5% committed to in the Paris Agreement, then we can only hope those misguided parties and groups posing a threat to that 500 bill aren't in a position to destroy the economy, which will itself do a bit of destruction, but we will all profit as the planet goes down the capitalist gurgler. 
On the side of the Angels, the besieged Tim Wilback Capital Sun is described as a moderate, which, given his connections to the Institute of Public Very, Very Private Affairs and his role three years ago in convincing pensioners they'd all or we'd all suffer if the socialists tax the rich, says heaps about those not considered moderate. If Tim's a moderate, the mind boggles at what they might consider immoderate, and this time round, Tim, on behalf of the Institute of Public Very, Very Private, is celebrating their housing policy aimed, it seems, less at putting first-home buyers they tell us they so care about into a home, but more about smashing the evil superannuation system which the Institute has long campaigned to destroy. All that lovely, lovely money in the hands of evil unions and workers, for God's sake. The culmination of years of Tim painting superannuation as a threat to the greatest little economic order of them all. Presumably by investing in capitalism like all capitalists do. And as the Institute of Public Very, Very Private's John Ross scam after scam said this week, the policy is regarded as a turning point in a multi-decade policy struggle. See, it shows just how much Scummo and the team really, really care about first home buyers and carrying out their orders from Tim and the Institute of Public Very, Very Private. Look, if only the evil unions would hand the control of all that lovely, lovely money to the banks and great financial institutions who understand the delicate flower that is the economy and stop showing them up by proving to be better capitalists and I'm sure we all hope that after tonight, poor moderate Tim won't be heading back to the Institute of looking for a job. As the, as the Zion government continues to suggest it did not shoot an Al Jazeera journalist in the Palestinian non-peoples non-land, known as Extended Zion, we can but presume that the uniformed thugs who beat up mourners at her funeral were evil non-people dressed up as Zion thugs. And if only the non-land, non-people would stop calling their expulsion from their own country as the disaster, they could go on to live unhappily in their non-land, because Zion knows it most certainly was not a disaster. And the murdered journalists carrying on about Zion practicing apartheid, so why would they want to kill her? Apropos of nothing, the wonders of modern technology, that Saudi bloke driving his Maserati through Rome, obeying his sat-nav, turned left, it said, and he turned straight into and down the Spanish steps. Presume he can afford the huge repair bill for the damage. Finally, listener, as we breathe a sigh of relief that it's all over at last, tonight we can sit back and enjoy the one thing we're left to enjoy on election night – watching the losers lose. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Kevin. It kills me every time. I, I've listened to this several times, and it really was the kid's fault. It kills me. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah, that's right. It is election night, and uh, uh, hopefully you're uh, in good company when the results come out. Uh, the... Um, I didn't get through to anybody to talk to me about the uh, event that's happening tomorrow, but it doesn't matter. I can tell you all about it. The Dilly All-Stars and guests are going to celebrate East Timor Independence, the 20th anniversary. That's tomorrow, 22nd of May, 3pm at Memo Music Hall, St Kilda. Lovely um, venue it is. It's a lovely place. Uh, tickets are $50, $40 and $35. 
Um, you can uh, get information about it from the uh, Uh Also, you can get tickets on the day, I'm assuming. Um, the special guests uh, performing with the uh, Dilly All Stars uh, include David Bridie, the Timorese Cultural Group, Stella Anning and the Externals, Timor Leste Student Choir and Crisco and Sun. And you'll remember that uh, the Dilly All Stars were originally p- formed by Paulie Stewart from the Painters and Dockers and Gil Santos, who united to record a song as a form of protest at the uh, capture of East Timorese resistance leader Jan- Janana Guzmao by the uh, Indonesian Armed Forces in the early 90s, the long struggle for East Timorese independence. The band expanded and hit the road, touring extensively both in Australia, East Timor, Europe and South America. It just goes to show the uh, um, importance of music in struggle and uh, we will uh, underline that with uh, a bit from the Dilly All-Stars.
throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep community strong. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03-9419-8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR. Keep Keep community community strong. With Annie on uh, 3CR Saturday breakfast, and uh, I'll have to say uh, we're up to the last part of the, sh- of the show. It is hard not to understand that the world is teetering on the edge of a climate emergency. At the same time, corporate interests and governments play lip service to this fact, but first, they use the tactic of normalising the coming disaster and follow with greenwashing wars and repressive laws against activists to maintain business as usual. And last week I collected a couple of snapshots from Europe that give what I think are a chilling aspect to the focus of corporate leaners and cash-strapped countries as they persist in the fossil fuel dance. First up is from an online rally called Climate Goals Held to Ransom. It brought a focus on the insidious ECT, Energy Charter Treaty, and ISDS, Investor State Dispute Settlement System, a process that reveals the lengths that corporate leaners will go to sacrifice human rights and the sustainability of the planet for their own interests. First up is an explanation of the system followed by... uh, Uh, followed by uh, Leah Sullivan from War on Want, and then activist and ecologist Karela Rakiti. You'll know her from her work rescuing refugees in the Mediterranean, and Brenda Akankuta from Uganda. And uh, it finishes... uh, Yeah, so... uh, it gives you an understanding of what they're fighting for at the moment. They're, they're working towards uh, uh, persuading countries to not uh, sign the ECT, the uh, Energy Charter Treaty, uh, because it is really stalling the ability to actually uh, deal with the climate emergency and uh, making it all about money. Money for investors, the greedy, greedy investors. So let's hear what they had to say. The clock is ticking. We must keep coal, oil and gas in the ground to avoid catastrophic global heating. But fossil fuel companies want to keep on profiting and keep on polluting. What most people don't know, if we try to stop them, fossil fuel companies can use secretive corporate courts to sue us. This is because of a mechanism called ISDS in trade deals which gives corporations the right to sue countries for enacting climate-protecting laws that affect the corporation's profits or potential future profits, even if those laws stand between us and climate breakdown. Over decades, 
Global South countries have faced an onslaught of ISCS claims over measures to protect indigenous territories and communities from environmental damage caused by mining and fossil fuel extraction. And now, countries are being sued for taking action to meet even their weak international climate goals. Italy, the US, the Netherlands and Slovenia face claims for a combined £13 billion over plans to phase out coal and stop oil rigs and pipelines. That's $13 billion of public money that could be spent supporting people who can't afford energy bills or to repay our huge climate debt to the global south. And $13 billion is just the beginning. Estimates of potential corporate lawsuits over climate action are in the trillions. Coal, oil and gas companies have already made unimaginable fortunes by driving us towards climate crisis. Now they're demanding huge payments to stop polluting and using the threat of ISDS to delay and prevent climate action. Signing up to ISDS is optional. Countries have removed it from their trade deals before. But the UK includes ISDS in most of its trade deals. The UK still signed up to the climate-destroying Energy Charter Treaty, the ECT, the world's most widely used treaty for ISDS claims. The ECT, along with other trade deals containing ISDS, enable UK corporations to sue countries all over the world for trying to stop climate breakdown. If we want climate justice, we must call on the UK government to stop ISDS from holding our climate goals to ransom. We must end ISDS. As I hope the video makes clear, if the record-breaking temperatures we're experiencing now, devastating floods, fires and famines aren't weren't enough to remind us, we are constantly being reminded that climate action is ever more urgent. And um, scientists are telling us that we need no new oil, coal and gas fields. And according to a new study, um, nearly half of existing fossil fuel production sites need to be shut down early if global heating is to be limited to 1.5. But against this backdrop, we have the Energy Charter Treaty, which blocks, delays, undermines climate action and makes it massively more expensive. So the Energy Charter Treaty, or the ECT, is an agreement from the 1990s for the energy sector, the rules of which apply to 53 countries, primarily in Europe and Asia. But they have intentions to expand to other parts of Africa and Asia. The ECT includes lots of rules, but cornerstone is something called ISDS, Investor to State Dispute Settlement, which enables foreign investor to sue a country if that country does something that could be changing a law or policy that affects the profits or potential future profits of the investor. The ISDS mechanism is increasingly being used by fossil fuel corporations to challenge climate policy. And the ECT is what is being used to challenge it. The ECT is the, the most used treaty for ISDS cases. No trade and investment agreement anywhere in the world has triggered more investor state lawsuits. It has very generous broad clauses for investors and it contains sunset clauses which mean that countries can be sued for 20 years after they leave the treaty. The courts that take ISDS cases don't have to consider the obligations of a government to uphold its commitments to climate, to human rights. They don't try to balance public interest with, with private profit. They only care about the obligations to investors created through the trade deal um, that allows companies to sue governments for huge sums of money. And the amounts of money that we're talking about are huge and increasing. So it used to be quite unusual to have ISDS awards that went over $1 billion, but that's starting to become more and more common. And the cases 
that are, have to do with the fossil fuel sector are some of the biggest. The video briefly mentions, mentions five cases against the US, Slovenia, Italy, and the Netherlands, totaling 13 billion pounds. And just to mention the specifics of two of these briefly, one of them against the Netherlands is being taken by fossil fuel companies Uniper and RWE, which set up coal-fired power plants in 2015 and 2016. So that's when the Paris Agreement is being signed. So they know that they're not really viable or profitable into the future. And in spite of that, and in spite of actually being offered compensation by the Dutch government, um, they're now trying to shift the, that burden onto the Dutch taxpayer by suing the, the, the Dutch people for 2.4 billion euro. In another case, UK corporation Rockhopper is demanding 275 million euro from the Italian taxpayer after the Italian government took a decision to ban oil drilling near the coast. The Italian government did that over environmental concerns and a local protest against oil drilling. Um, and that amount the rock opera is suing for is between seven and nine times uh, what they actually invested in the project. So that's sort of the lost profit elements, potential future profits that, that um, ISDS enables corporations to sue for. Meanwhile, in Germany, the energy charter treaty has made the German coal phase out far more expensive. Um, the, the, the government has accepted serious disadvantages in terms of its compensation it's had to pay to these corporations and has paid around 12 times more to the coal companies than they would have otherwise had to pay because of the Energy Charter Treaty. So you might well wonder um, why countries would sign up to this, why they're still members of this treaty, and why have we, have we not terminated it already? And the answer is that things are moving and we're actually at a really critical juncture right now, which is why we're holding this event and why we're engaged in all of this, uh, this action. Um, Italy has left the treaty a number of years ago. Countries in Europe that have faced high numbers of cases, so Spain, as well as uh, Poland and Germany have expressed support for the possibility of leaving the treaty, but they haven't committed to doing it. Um, but the and so the battle is really far from one and the, the we really have to step up pressure on governments within the next few weeks to try and make this a success. At this very moment this week, governments are meeting to try to decide the future of the treaty. One of the options on the table um, is to not to exit, but to merely amend it in a, a modernization process that has, to be honest, been doomed from the start because it never really mentioned climate change or the need to align with the Paris agree Agreement or to address ISDS. It was is an attempt to re-legitimize something that is has been losing legitimacy for a long time. And that's why we're here today to say we won't compromise on our future. We want our governments to leave the Energy Charter Treaty without delay. And I'm gonna to turn to our speakers now to tell you from their perspective as climate, social justice, justice activists, scientists, lawyers, um, why we have to leave ISDS and leave the Energy Charter Treaty in the past. Um, so I'll pass on, first of all, to Carola Raketa, who is, I'm sure, can do a much better job of introducing herself, but she's a German ship captain um, who volunteered with the German sea rescue organization Sea-Watch um, in 2019. She was arrested for docking a migrant rescue ship um, and with, uh, without authorization. And she has, in November 2021, uh, published a call to the Combat Climate Action, uh, The Time to Act Is Now. Um, so I'll hand over to you, uh, Carola. She will be speaking in English. 
Thank you very much uh, for organizing this very important webinar, first of all, and for everyone who took the time to join today. Um, I'm not specifically now speaking about the ECT because that will be left to other speakers, but speaking as an ecologist and direct action activist specifically. It's really important, I think, that we realize that a climate crisis is not an accident, but a crime, and that we have to work together to stop the harm and hold accountable those who are responsible. It is important to find the ECT, but at the same time, we must not, not forget to engage directly and end this dark age of fossil fuels by winding down the fossil fuel industry and the extraction as quickly as possible. And I would just like to remind each of us that everyone has their part to play as direct action activists, lawyers, policymakers, industrial workers, scientists, teachers, students, artists. Each one of us has to engage with the skills and experience that we have. And we have to work together to the same direction. At this moment, it's really paramount to prevent new fossil fuel projects or accelerate the shutdown of the already existing infrastructure. In Germany, we have seen that the huge pressure by the grassroots movement has led to an earlier coal phase eight, now moved to 2030. And this grassroots movement really critically included the autonomous uh, forest occupations in the area of Hambach. But the direct action, the occupations um, and the civil disobedience are really important ways to confront and accelerate the decision-making, but only when supported and moving hand-in-hand hand with a broader civil society movement. But this only can be the first step because really we have to take control of and wind down the fossil fuel companies like RWE or Wintershall, which are the biggest in Germany. We need the workers across all parts of the fossil fuel sectors to hold accountable the companies from the inside, but also to get public support to transition towards work that provides dignity, self-direction and planetary safety for people. In Europe, we also have to stand in solidarity with people on the front lines who struggle against European um, companies fueling the climate crisis. For example, we must join people in Tanzania and Uganda who fight total regarding the new pipeline project EACOP, the East African crude oil pipeline, or SOCO and total who are planning to extract uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo in a protected area that is called Virunga and is actually also riddled with a lot of colonial structures and human rights abuses. A new global focus for sure is also fossil gas and fracking projects. In Germany, for example, a huge focus is now to prevent the building of new terminals. I believe if we live in the global north, we must also include um, or connect the fracking overseas to the fracking at home. Because in countries like France or the UK or Germany, there are decades of resistance in local citizens' initiative. If we do not want frack gas from our own Alpine hills of picturesque uh, Bavaria, for example, we cannot allow to import the same gas from Baca Muerta, the Yamal Peninsula, or the Okavanga Delta. And I would like to uh, 
um, add a final word of caution as an ecology, as an ecologist, um, the survival of us and our families is strongly tied to the survival of earthworms and ants and all the millions of unknown species that comprise healthy ecosystems. Uh, therefore, the struggle for our common future must include assuming responsibility and stewardship for the living planet. We must not replace fossil fuel projects by other industries that are harmful to the living planet. And according to the International Expert Panel on the Biodiversity, it's only possible if we abandon the paradigm of economic growth. We need a transition that is based on restorative justice and respects our responsibilities and dependence on the living planet. Finally, I'd like to remind you there's a lot to do to end the dark ages of fossil fuels. Do not forget that each of you has a very crucial part to play in the story of transformation. And there are many ways to take part in action, legal and citizen initiatives and workplaces in land occupations. Each of them is needed and important and each of you is very crucial to winning. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak on this uh, rally. First of all, I think this is not even just an issue that Uganda faces, but something that is uh, happening globally. And what we are seeing at the moment is that there is a silent expansion of this energy charter treaty, especially within um, the global south, that is Africa and Latin America. I know we've had discussions and uh, conversations that there's a modernization going on, but at the same time, we've also seen that uh, there's always a budget for the ECT secretariat, specifically for the expansion. So that clearly shows us that actually, even at the moment, expansion is still going on. So we wouldn't even want to think that maybe it has been put to a halt uh, as we think about modernization. Uganda and Africa as a whole, we are least developed countries uh, to start with. And uh, for that reason, there is much need for us to attract FDI. And because of this very much need, especially um, within the energy sector, you see, when you look at countries like Uganda, where I am, our access to electricity is as low as 20% and as low as 40% for the entire Africa. So it shows you how much uh, we're going to see uh, states coming up and wanting to, you know, attract investment so that they can be able to exploit that energy sector and maybe provide uh, electricity access for everyone, which is quite a challenge. And what we've seen oftentimes is that because of this need to attract FDIs, there is a growing recognition of uh, bilateral investment treaties and other investment agreements. And in uh, 2019, we saw Uganda coming out to send a letter to the ACT Secretariat expressing interest to join um, the ECT. First of all, um, had a lot of issues regarding that particular line. The fact that even when you look at how the ECT is framed, it targets ministries that have not uh, ideally been handled in negotiations because I don't know how it's done out there, but uh, for countries like Uganda, you know that negotiations will either fall under the ministry in charge of finance or maybe trade. But you see here, uh, talking about a whole different ministry, which means even the negotiating capacity may not be that strong. And uh, we see them being persuaded to perhaps take a position that would be detrimental to a country. And this goes on because we've seen other countries now 
our colleagues uh, within the ESC like Burundi, we saw that they are even at the last stage of ratifying this um, energy charter treaty. Yet uh, last year we saw Burundi government coming out to suspend all the mining contracts that it has. And for me, that triggered my mind to think about the likelihood of if, for instance, they had ratified the Energy Charter Treaty, what that would mean, because uh, we saw that part of the mining companies that were in Burundi, some of them are even operating under bilateral investment treaties like uh, Burundi and UK. So it triggered my mind to think of what would actually happen if uh, there was already this ECT in place, looking at the way it is structured and those problematic clauses that are in it including clauses to do with the zombie clauses and uh, how much they would have to pay in terms of uh, investor state dispute settlements. So I think as a country and as a, as a, a continent that is already, first of all, uh, struggling to with, because of the debt burden and a lot of resources being lost out there, we are not prepared to take in this energy charter treaty. And this is why we have uh, been... Uh, quite vocal in trying to tell, uh, to convince our government to say that we think that they need to debunk that myth that uh, all the problems we have as a continent, uh, especially facing the energy sector, will be solved by just a mere document, which is the Energy Charter Treaty. And just beyond that, there are also a lot of risks, especially when it comes to climate change. And, and this is something that we've, this is a call that we've put out globally. When you look at the way this Energy Charter Treaty uh, takes away the sovereignty of of the states to act, for instance, um, we've, we've always had campaigns. Recently, we had a campaign in Lamu, in uh, Kenya, saying that we should stop Lamu. We've had a campaign going on in Uganda to say that we should uh, stop distracting Bogoma Forest. I think we have that liberty to even uh, put up a campaign, and sometimes our governments listen to us. But the moment we've uh, become party or ratified this Energy Charter Treaty, it means we have given away our rights as a country or as a continent to even uh, act in the interest of the public, meaning um, we've given away our sovereignty and where does that leave us? For me, I would actually want to understand the framers of this Energy Charter Treaty. Why, for instance, would uh, anyone put up uh, the zombie clause that says even after you exit, you can still be held liable 26 years after. It shows you that this particular agreement is uh, beyond just uh, maybe uh, investment in the energy sector, but rather focuses on uh, protecting these particular investors. At Siatini, we run a campaign that is dubbed Life Before Profit, saying that in whatever we do, we should prioritize the rights of the citizens, of the communities, of the host states. But if we are so much interested in uh, this, in exploiting our energy resources and we don't put to the front the rights of the citizens, we're going to have a, a, a country or a continent that has no people anymore, that you know, cannot defend its sovereignty when it comes to protecting its environment. COP27 is being held in Egypt, as already been mentioned. It's not being held in Cairo, it's being held in Sharm el-Sheikh. And there will be people here who have probably been to Sinai. Sharm el-Sheikh is a resort on the Sinai, Sinai coast. 
it can very easily be isolated from the rest of Egypt. And that is why uh, the Egyptian government has held various international meetings there. It will be impenetrable to activists. Um, and the record of the Sisi regime, as you know, in terms of repression, broad human rights interests, uh, issues and so on is deplorable. Uh, the chance of, of domestic activists from Egypt or others participating in any way is pretty much nil. Um, Egyptian activists are now networking to prepare a type of inclusive statement, which I think they will be putting to ourselves and to others to highlight some of the issues in Egypt. Because, you know, just to identify the problem there, um, Egypt is the largest oil producer in Africa outside OPEC. Um, there's been a recent enormous a, a discovery of an enormous new gas field there. And the Egyptian government is working flat out to build three massive gas fired power stations. All this is going on while the Egyptian government has failed to set any target for emissions. So for the regime, COP27 presents a fantastic greenwashing opportunity against the background, not only of the issues I've just mentioned, but against a background of the most extreme repression. And you probably know that the present regime came to power after a military coup in 2013. So Egyptian activists, people involved in NGOs, human rights organizations, charitable organizations, and so on, are looking for ways to express their views about this. There is no, not really even an inch of room for maneuver for them um, and they will have to, they will be wanted to be very creative and work really through international solidarity networks so <clears throat> i can't call speak on behalf of them i'm just passing on the knowledge that i have of what they would like to do and how they would like to collaborate with other activists in the global south and also with ourselves so that some of the issues around cop 27 are really openly aired from their point of view. Thank you. Yeah, that was just a little insight into corporate leaners and uh, the holding of climate goals to ransom. But before we go, quickly, we've got Paulie Stewart. He woke up. G'day, how are you? Sorry, Annie, we had a gig last night and I, I was sitting in the lounge room with the phone ready to talk to you and I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I thought I should have thought of that, um, but it's a great. Buddy, I can't can't go all night anymore. That's the problem. That's right. A big big event tomorrow, though. Yeah, look, it'll be it'll be huge. You know, twenty years of uh, Timorese independence. Something I never thought would actually happen. So uh, we're all getting down at Mimo in uh, Ackland Street, St Kilda, and we're going to have. A lot of uh, bands and dances and cultural, you know, people are involved. And uh, look, it'll be a great day. I urge your listeners to come on down, have a bit of fun, have a dance. Yeah. Um, and of course, Polly, uh, you've got a very intimate connection to uh, uh, East Timor struggle. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, my 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 brother my brother was yeah actually one of the Balabo Five journalists who was killed up there in 1975 and uh, I've got to be truthful, Annie. I thought 
you know, come the days after he died, I'd never have anything to do with the place again. And I've now been up there about 30 times. And uh, I recommend anybody who wants to go to somewhere interesting and it's great. It's like Bali without the bullshit. <laughs> head, head to East Timor. You know, there's no drunken Aussie f- football team yet, so it's good, you know. Um, the thing that's interesting to me is that um, with something that is... Uh, <laughs> Upsetting and uh, well, all those words. Um, You you decided that you could use your skills in music and art to actually uh, create um, a force for of protest and change. That's important, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it was actually my my, my very very good Timorese friend Gil Santos who used to come and see me in my punk band, The Punters and Doctors, and he came after me after a gig and introduced himself and said, listen, Paulie, stop taking it out on yourself. Let's get even. Let's let's leave the music. Let's let the music, you know, use it as a weapon. So we're all about you know, guitars, not guns, and uh, we must have done hundreds of gigs all around the world, um, including a, a great tour of... Uh, Portugal, where we were sponsored by the Portuguese Communist Party, and then um, we ended up in Brazil doing stuff with the Brazilians because they're an ex-Portuguese colony, of course. And um, oh, I'll have to cut you off. You should have been on earlier. But I'm yeah, just sorry. reminding people that because uh, we've come to the end of the show, that uh, the Good doors on, the doors open at two thirty p.m. tomorrow. Uh, the show starts at three. Fifty, forty, thirty-five dollars, and it's Memo Music Hall to celebrate twenty years of. Come and shake your ass. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Timor Leste independence. See you later, mate. Good on you, Annie. See you, mate. We always thought that we were not a rock and roll band, but it sure feels like rock and roll over here tonight. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.